This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Inc., Aluma Trailers, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. My guest today is a gentleman that mixes his business with his bird hunting pleasures. Brett Walton is president and CEO of Walton's Inc., and he's a passionate bird hunter just like you and I. We'll talk Kansas quail, pheasants, habitat, dogs, inspiring new hunters, finding a business, family, and hunting balance, and so much more. If you're a bird hunter or just a hunter like me, or if you're a chef or really anybody that likes to make food, then you probably would be interested in products that are sold at Walton's. There are many places that you can buy products to process and prepare your meat. There are not a lot of places that you can buy those products and learn how to use them from experts. Walton's is that place. They have everything, and I mean everything, for your cooking and wild game processing needs. Plus, they have the experts on staff to help you learn how to use their products to get the best results. John Tremblay hosts their Meatgistics podcast, live streams, and live chats, which are interactive learning tools for the meat processing community. If you have questions, John and his team have the answers from sausage making to smoking, recipes to seasoning, and so much more. They've got you covered. Walton's products ship the same day you order, and while they have nearly every brand you'd ever want to purchase, they also have their own line of Walton's grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, vacuum sealers, and so much more. In my opinion, they're like the Amazon of the meat processing world. Order the same seasonings and supplies that professionals use from the best name in the wild game industry, Walton's. They have everything but the meat. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Morton is our producer. And Brandon, I get to talk to you again this time. Uh, happy New Year. Happy- I, I haven't seen you. How have you been? I've missed you. Have you missed me? Yeah, Happy New Year to you. I've, I've been fine, man. I, I've been missing seeing you in person. It's a little weird to do these shows remotely. It is. And I could not have been more remote last week, uh, all the way on top of a mountain in Arizona. I do apologize for all the technical difficulties that causes you because I, you know, which we try to get these shows out on a regular basis every week. And then I, you know, leave Wi-Fi for a long period of time and I don't get it to you. You're texting me, hey, is the show coming? Is the show coming? What? As soon as I can get enough Wi-Fi. I don't even want, I, Brandon, I can't even tell you how many times I watched the bar go up on the <laughs> upload and then then time out. And, you know, the loss of sleep that I had back at the lodge, back at the hotel, it was it was awful. Well, it was just, awful. It just was, know this, Travis. I'm waiting to hear the show because I'm a fan of the show. So I, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. That's that's why I text you. I'm just I'm a fan of the show. I just want to hear the show. <laughs> oh, well, bless you. Um, I I do have to apologize to the listeners as well. A handful of of them have reached out to me since that last episode aired. Uh, one in particular, my mother called me. And she was not happy with me, and rightfully so, because I was not prepared for the rattlesnake encounter that I experienced in Arizona. And truthfully, that's on me. And I did mention this in the show. Two things. One, I had snake gators sitting in the truck, and I didn't put them on. I'm an idiot. Um, I didn't do it. And I told the I told the story last week. Go back and listen if you want. But I didn't wear them, and I should have. And the most important thing is. Uh, this story I've told a couple of times, or not story, but I've told on um, this podcast a couple of times that my hearing is awful. Early in life, I didn't take care of it, and now I regret it because I have a lot of hearing loss. And um, in particular, I wear hearing aids regularly um, in life, but when I'm hunting, I don't because they don't mute the gunshot. They um, That sound, I don't want to be uh, extra loud in my ears. I do have a set of sound gear hearing protection and um, you know, I, that scenario 
could have been avoided if I would have been able to hear the rattlesnake had I been wearing them. But the the beautiful little package that they come in that I take with when I go hunting was sitting in the center console of my truck right where I left it when I got on the airplane. And that's one of the things that drives me, uh, not drives me nuts, but like when, when, when I go hunting, I like to have my truck because I've got all my stuff in the back, inside. I know where everything is. So I, if I need it, I know where to go. When I fly somewhere, I've got to pack gear. I've got a lot of other things that we're trying to account for. And one of the things that I forgot on this trip was my hearing protection. Um, and the sound gear does amplify the sound. It would have allowed me to hear that rattlesnake potentially saving, I don't know, saving my life is maybe a little bit too dramatic, but you know, it was a small rattlesnake and they do release all of their venom on a strike. And so potentially it could have saved my life. Instead, Tyler saved my life and I got lucky this time. Um, so Yes, I do have hearing protection. Yes, uh, the people that uh, listen and reached out to me, I apologize. But I was just telling the honest truth of what happened out there. And unfortunately, I forgot my, my hearing protection. Brandon, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. And mom, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry to everybody else too, because I make mistakes all the time. Anyway, I think we're caught up now. All right, let's get to our guests. Um, Oh, one last thing before we get to our guests. I apologize for my uh, my last apology, I think, today. Um, last week, I was unable to do a show because I had no voice with which to speak. You would not have enjoyed listening to the show because it would have been a much raspier version of the raspy me that you're hearing right now. So my voice is not 100%, uh, but I, I'm going to give it a go. And hopefully you enjoy listening to my guests today more than you enjoy listening to me. His name is Brett Walton. Brett, I know you're a very busy man, so I'm going to stop wasting your time by telling the stories of my personal fa failures and ask you if you'd like to share any of yours. <laughs> no, I'm just excited to be on. I'm a fan of the show. Uh, I, I listen to the podcast every week and... Uh, it's kind of crazy to get a chance to be on and talk to you. Well, it's an honor for me. And I found this out too, that you listen to every single week when, uh, I got, I don't know, uh, one of my coworkers, Mark Lukey said he got an email from you and, and you, cause I talk about, you know, a, a lot of stuff that, um, I use from your company all the time. And then I find out that you're listening to this podcast and I, it made me happy. I, I got all warm and fuzzy inside. I'm like, Oh man. Thanks, Brett. Um, you do? But I also want to have you on too, because I know you're a, a very passionate hunter, just like I am. Yep. I like to get out and uh, shoot a, shoot at uh, quail and <laughs> pheasant here in Kansas, usually. Yep. And where's where's home? What part of Kansas? Oh, Wichita's in like south central Kansas. Okay. Uh, before we get into your hunting adventures uh, this season, quail, pheasant, etc., do you have, have you ever had an encounter with a rattlesnake before? I know I just no. went on and on there for a few minutes before introducing you, but do you remember any time in your life when you made a mistake like I have? No, uh, no, no, no rattlers. That's, that's not, uh, something I've come across. There are, there are rattlers in Kansas, but you know, usually by the time I'm hunting, although I really, you know, that's one of the things about those of us that listen to the show is you get to do all the stuff that we really want to do. And yeah. so I really want to go shoot quail in Arizona, but maybe now just a little less. <laughs> really? Did that change that drive yeah. for you? Honestly, well, it, it, I, you know, it's just going to be something I'll be a little bit thinking about more about my dog though. I mean, how do you keep your dog from getting struck? That's, that's what I'd worry about. Yeah, that's interesting too. Um, and actually Tyler Webster, the, the gentleman that I was hunting with, he did, take that opportunity to try to do a little snake avoidance with his dog that he had on the ground that day, Bo. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's, I think that's a, uh, a, a real concern for a lot of hunters and, you know, Tyler and a lot of the other people that we talked to that he knows that live down there that hunt this time of the year, it's very uncommon. I mean, he's never seen one and he knows one of the most historic, uh, mountain lion hunters in Arizona, New Mexico, and he was talking to him, 
and his daughter about it. And they've seen maybe, I mean, they live out there. That's all they do. They're on the ground every day during hunting season. And they have seen so few rattlesnakes this time of the year that it's not even something that's on their mind. And they were almost like, whoa. But, um, you know, it was 20 in the 20s that morning. Ooh, Those snakes wow. should not be out. I mean, that's that's why I did not put my snake gators on. And I and I said this in last week's episode that I didn't bring the snake gators down there for snake protection. I brought them down as body armor against the cactuses, the needles, and it worked great. Now, it, you know, it makes sense to just just for a little extra peace of mind to wear them in case, you know, running into snakes. Uh, I, well, do you, you dogs know, have problems with all the cactus, though, too? So they, they um, yes, they do. But they also learn very quickly what they can step on and what they can't. Uh, that's according to Tyler and a couple of the other people that I've hunted with because I watched their dogs most for the most part run all day without having to take any needles out they avoid wow. certain uh, running their face in it's not like it's not like the cactus or the um, the cattails or the grass up here that they're running through steady they they kind of bob and weave around the cactus plants and in the bushes and they do come out rough sometimes but their paws for the most part make it out okay um besides besides just a few it's it's amazing dogs are just amazing as you know Brett. Mm -hmm. they're just oh, amazing yeah. creatures and you know if if i ran into something that hurt and then i turned and ran into it again and it hurt i would probably learn pretty quick and i think dogs learn in threes and sevens so maybe it's the third cactus or the seventh cactus but they learn pretty quick not to stick their face into it or their feet on it but I also know, as most of us that have dogs, my dog doesn't want to stop for much of anything. You know, when yeah. he's going, he he will run until his, I think his feet, you know, were total blood. He would just, mm -hmm. you know, keep running and it wouldn't slow him down. Uh, they just get so crazy. And I'm like, well, what would he do in cactus? But... It's I thought the exact same thing when I was down there. I thought my dog, I wonder if she would figure out to stop running into them. Um, or through them because some of them are just really bushes, you know, up here you would were in the Midwest. I mean, it'd be a standard bush. It'd be the prime spot for a bird to hide in. But down there, that bush, um, you just stop before you get to it and you, you do a little loop around it instead of through it because it, the quail can hide in it, but you don't want to run through it. The needles <laughs> are perfect toothpick size, which I found out too, because I was eating a lot of beef jerky while we were driving. And I'm like, I gotta get this jerky out of my teeth. <laughs> and uh, Tyler had a he had a toothpick with, and, and I was like, "You got an extra one?" He goes, "No." And then I go, "Wait a second, hold it, pull over." And I walked out, and I just grabbed, you know, snapped off a big needle, and it was an ideal toothpick. Nice. So, you know, there's a pro tip for you right there. If you do go down there, you have a lot of toothpicks. To <laughs> um, where have been? Okay, so you're in in uh, Kansas. And you do a lot of bird hunting there. But as long as we're talking about outstate adventures and you wanting to do that, which, by the way, let me just say, don't let don't let my one encounter with a snake stop <laughs> you from going to do that. Okay. Um, I did have somebody else reach out to me and said that even though that snake was coiled, um, the chances that it had enough energy to strike were probably pretty low. I probably uh, okay. would have been able to walk past it. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but um, it does make sense. And the fact that it was even able to slither out um, after the temperatures at night being in the 20s like they were is, is even surprising to me. It is a place that if you love quail hunting, which I know you do, and I know you have quail, um, it is a place that takes it, I think, to another level. Um that that explosion, that covey explosion from the bobwhites that you have, you get that with merns. They hold really, really tight, and they live in the mountains, you know. And and that view is is something that you get a chance to do it, Brett. I think you take it. Yeah, I'll do it someday. Yeah, and then just I guess throw on some snake gators 
it'll help you uh, stay out and of my the, hearing aids. the pricklies. My hearing aids and <laughs> gators. Yes. Okay. okay, so you you have hearing aids as well. Now, did you make the same mistakes that I did with shooting growing up? Yeah, you know, they, they told me a couple years ago when I got them, they said, you know, there's kind of three things, and they were they went through it, you know, and it was like hereditary, and I'm like, yeah, mom, dad both had them, and, and then they're, you know, they list on, you know, working conditions, and I worked, rode on an uncabbed tractor for, you know, 15 hours a day through high school, and worked in a factory making corrugated boxes for quite a few years, didn't use any hearing protection for any of that, then, then there's the whole gun thing. And didn't do a great job with that. So basically, everything they said could affect it negatively. Oh, and maybe listening to loud music. Um, I checked every one of those boxes. So, (laughs) but I'm a lot older than you are. (laughs) Well, there's wisdom that you should have then, Brad. (laughs) Too late. I can claim innocence because I'm just a young man and I'm still, (laughs) still just learning. You know, where were you when, when I needed to know about the mistakes you made? I'll ask you that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you're in Kansas now. Is that where you grew up? Yes, I did. Yep. Grew up uh, within, I was born, I was born within 30 miles of where I live now. Okay. And, uh, how long has hunting been a part of your life and when did it start for you? Um, so I learned to hunt. My dad was from Eastern Kansas, Southeast Kansas. And, uh, so on a, on a family farm, um, and my grandpa actually ran a dairy and farmed. And so, uh, pretty young age, you know, I got to walk with him carrying a stick. Um, and it was a family, you know, family deal. Uh, my dad did some, uh, but my grandpa did probably hunted with me more, but my uncles did a lot. And, uh, my dad's couple did my dad's brothers and brother-in-law, um, took me out and, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how old I was. I was maybe 13 probably when they gave me the single shot 410 and started giving me instructions. And, nice, uh, but nice. I, it's all I knew was shooting quail until I was, oh, probably close to 18 before I even shot at a pheasant. Isn't it amazing? I think it's so important. I I had two grandpas, my dad, I had a couple of uncles as well, and they all were willing to let me come with them. Some of them invited me. Sometimes they just gave in to my requests to go with Mm -hmm. them. But being able to go out and have experiences in the field with other people, I think helps grow or mature your hunting skills a lot quicker. you know, and it's very important. And, and that's something that you, I know you're passionate about mentoring the next generation. We'll get into that in a little bit, but, but for your personal story, was there any one person in particular that you think had the biggest influence on your creating your love for hunting or was it all of them? Well, it was, it was probably all of them. My uncle Gary was probably the most active in getting me out and, and then I would hunt with him some too, up, uh, closer to Wichita. Um, but yeah, my uncles, you know, they were such great teachers. Um, you know, they would give you such great encouragement, like, um, are you going to pull that gun up and shoot or are you just going to stand around and watch the birds fly away? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the real positive lifting. Oh, yeah. Up, yeah. yeah. But you know, man, it really drove me to get better. And they were all really good shots. You know, they grew up not having a lot. So when they got to go out and hunt, it was to go out and bring back, you know, supper or whatever. And, uh, they were all good shots. So you better be fast and you, you better learn to be good and be fast if you want to get a bird. And you mean uh, they so, were going to drop it before, oh, before yeah. too I mean, long they, if you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, I don't remember a lot of that going, well, we were waiting for you to shoot Brent. I don't remember. A lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the type of people that make you better. I, yeah. I play, this is a, this is a very similar comparison. I don't take it easy on the ice rink with my boys. I'm, I'm doing that to make them better. And in turn now they're, they're whooping up on me already, but I don't take it easy on them. And I think, you know, your uncle's not taking it easy on you. Probably made you a better hunter and a better shot. Probably did. And and if you by chance talk to my boys, since you know a couple of them anyways, you might, they would probably tell you the same thing about me. Cause yeah, we didn't let them just, Oh, here you can win. No, you're going to have to work hard for that. Good for you and good for them. It's worked out well. I can tell. Um, let's, if you don't mind, can you go back to those days 
and tell us what the quail hunting was like then wow. compared to what it might be today. I mean, it's got to look, Ugh, you know, the, the stories, the stories of, you know, hunters from years ago just feel to me like it's a, it's a whole different place. So when I was, you know, I graduated high school in 81 and I think it was that year, the year before, year after, somewhere in there, right early 80s. One year we went down and and remember this is dairy, it's working dairy, right? So you got to milk cows first, then you go hunt, come in for a big meal, then you go hunt again, but you have to quit early because you got to get back in and milk again, right? Well, mm-hmm. one of those years there were so many birds that just hunting, uh, we would hunt two places, the home place, which a half section. And then there was a place, uh, five, six miles North. That was another half section that they rented. That was pasture for the most part, little, little, uh, tilled ground. That one day we pushed 11 coveys of quail and they were all huge. And it was just to the point where my uncles were like, if a bird goes behind you, don't even look back, just keep moving forward. It was crazy. So you're probably talking, you know, four hours maybe of hunting and it was just crazy birds. And now over there, it's around a town called Yate Center. And, uh, my uncle still lives over there. One of my uncles lives on the home place and, uh, they haven't even hunted quail for years. They don't let anybody hunt them. There's maybe one, qu- one covey. He told me, I think at Christmas, he said, there's probably one covey left. Really? Now, do you ever have a chance to go hunt with your uncle again? Uh, no, I have not hunted with my uncles for quite a while now. I, I said something to my one uncle uh, last year, and he's like, I don't think I can walk that far <laughs> to get out. Oh. So he's kind of past that Bummer. point. So, But no, it was when I was young over there, there was so many quail, and there was no deer and no turkey. Now there's a lot of deer, big deer, and they are there is turkey too. Hmm. Can you point to anything in your opinion that has led to the the drastic change in quail numbers there? No, I wish I knew. Hmm. So Everybody the habitat looks exactly it. the same today as it did in the early eighties. I think it does. I don't think it's a lot different there. You know, I go out to Western Kansas and habitat's a lot different um, because that you can't find weeds out there anymore. Um, cause they spray everything, but over Yates center, I mean, it's still, it's, it's on the edge of the Flint Hills. There's a lot of big pastures and then, uh, you know, creeks and wooded areas and some tillable ground around it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that much different. Hmm. Do you, do you talk to anybody in that area and, and ask, you know, is they telling people this is why the numbers aren't what they were? No, I've talked to some people, you know, around Wichita here and nobody seems to have the same answer as to what, what it could be or why. But now, I mean, look, there's a lot of quail now out in Western Kansas where there didn't used yeah. to be any quail. And, uh, we went out to last year, we were out there for the governor's hunt. I think you've done that before out at Colby. And, uh, I have not had the pleasure of doing it. Uh, I believe Ron Shara. Ron's did done. that okay. hunt maybe four or five years ago, maybe even six years ago. Time goes so quick now. I can't keep track of it, but yes, somebody so, from our TV show has been there. Keep going. Right. So we went out there and you know, it's a pheasant hunt supposedly, right? So we went out there yeah. last year. I shot at one pheasant and missed it, limited out on quail and they were apologizing. <laughs> and I go, why are you apologizing? It's been years since I've limited out on quail. Yeah. This is on Northwest Kansas. And that's how many so there was you, quail all over the place. If you had your say, and if if you could choose a pheasant or a quail, what would you choose? Quail. Yeah. It's fun. What is it about the quail that just makes it, I mean, I know what it is for me, but what is it about quail hunting for you that rises to the top? Well, for me, you know, it's a couple of things. One, because that's what I learned to do. That's where I learned to hunt. So that's always kind of takes you back to, you know, walking the home place over grandpa's but besides that i mean that's just you know you get to shoot more of them and they just go fast and the explosion of the covey um which is there i mean it's still fun a rooster gets up they make a lot of noise and they can still make you jump i got a text from a friend of mine that works at federal brian kelvington 
uh, after the governor's hunt down there this year. And it looked just like um, what you were talking about. Or wait, maybe you're talking about 2021 governor's hunt or 2020. 2020. Okay. So 2021 was the same way where they, they had a couple of pheasants over here, but they had just this beautiful lineup of all the quail. And he's like, the quail hunting was out of this world. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show right now, Brett, is because uh, your quail season is still open. Yes, it is. And there are still quail to be had in Kansas as we speak. 20 minutes before this podcast started, I got a call from a buddy of mine, who uh, Ben Bredigan, uh, who was just in Kansas hunting the last three days with another buddy of mine, George Lyle. And they were sending me pictures all weekend, and he called to tell me about it. And um, he said they, they found a lot of birds. So I want to find out what you've been seeing this year. Well, I've been out, uh, of course we did go up there to Colby in, in November and a lot of time in November, I may not go out a lot. I'm more December, January after, you know, yeah, I like it to be a little warmer. We ran into that though in December there. We, uh, so we're, we were doing this year, my wife and I, we did a few times last year and we just said, you know, we're kind of getting to the point where we want to work a little bit less or she wants me to work a little less. And I, I do too. And especially take some days off and hunt. So I, we, we just started saying, Hey, every Thursday, we're going to not set anything up and we're going to go hunt. And she doesn't hunt, but she goes along to help run the dogs. And she just enjoys the walk and being out and probably she enjoys my company. I hope too. But, um, (laughs) so we, we we get out and, uh, we used to go to walk in, uh, hunting and we go sometimes North, sometimes West, uh, from Wichita, you got to drive a couple hours away from Wichita, and then you can get into a lot of a lot of uh, walking hunting. And uh, we're seeing. Uh, so, anyways, it was in December. There it was warm. We'd go out and then a couple of days there, and we can't even hunt till noon at 65, 70 degrees. That's too hot mm-hmm. for dogs to run and do any good. And so, but we've been out at least several times. I guess three or four times uh, this year, and. Uh, seeing seeing quail and not seeing a lot of pheasant but uh, uh seeing some quail and, so and that's interesting there. you think the pheasant numbers are are lower and the quail numbers are up this year or how would you compare it to whatever we consider to be the average today yeah i think i think it's generally the trend for the areas where i can get to within a couple hours from wichita which is you know from west and kind of northwest and north straight north from wichita so it'd be kind of north central Kansas. All those areas are tend to be pheasant numbers going down. And you know, we we Sandy and I do a deal where we go out and and we'll try to hunt, you know, till noon, and then you know, pull up Google Maps and see where's the closest town that has a little you know bar grill or whatever for lunch, and then go in and have lunch, and then hopefully get out a little bit after that if it's not too hot, which it's been too hot, but. Um, it's interesting because you get to talk to some local people then. And that's one of the things that we picked up here probably two, three weeks ago was uh, up in North central Kansas and the local people saying, we just don't see pheasant anymore, but we sure see a lot of quail. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I, I you know, I feel the same way you do. I, if I could choose one or the other, the explosion of a covey is, heart stopping. And so is a rooster getting up, but I love watching that covey rise. Um, so I would choose a quail over a pheasant, um, if I had my choice like you, but obviously we want to see both of them up there. I I'm guessing the drought probably played a part in that pheasant numbers. Yeah, could be, could be. I I'd like to talk to someone that knows habitat a lot more than I do. And maybe they could help me understand some of it. Does it look different to you this year than other years? No, no, but I think it's a trend. I don't think it's a one-time deal. I think it's a trend, but what, what makes sense about that, about the quail wouldn't be in Southeast Kansas, but now they're a lot more, a lot larger populations in central and Western Kansas. I don't know. Well, how, um, we'll get into the family stuff a little bit because I mean, I, I, love that you take your wife hunting with you i love when mine comes hunting with me it's just i don't know why but um it's just such amazing quality time spent together 
did she bring it up to you or did you invite her to go with the first time? Uh, the first time we actually hunted together, um, we were probably dating. I don't even know if, or maybe we were just married. So, and then she was actually hunting. That was before kids. Um, so it's okay. been a lot of years ago. Um, and yeah, I don't remember how that, I don't even remember how that came about, but, uh, I think it was probably like, I probably asked her to come because then I could hunt more. <laughs> right. Yes. Which, when I was young, I hunted a lot. So, a lot. <laughs> well, she still enjoys it, I guess. Huh? Well, she loves to get out and walk. She loves dogs. And, you know, it gets back to the same thing that you hear over and over again. Everybody's like, well, I do it for the dogs because you do. I yep. mean, we get out and even if we're not going to shoot at anything, the dogs need a good workout. So, you know, Thursday we can, you know, if we walk seven to 10 miles, you know, they're getting 20 in. Yeah. What, uh, what dogs do you run right now? So I have a half German wire hair, half German short hair. He looks like a wire hair, uh, except oh. for a little patch on his back. Um, that's really short hair. Um, and then my wife has a, um, yes, yeah, you'd call it yellow lab and her dog. She kind of participates. She runs around. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you would okay. think she's a great retriever, but she's not necessarily. But uh, my dog, his name is Gruber. So Gruber okay. and Bear. And Gruber is a bird finding machine. And uh, he's about five years old. And he's big. Um, you know, he's probably 70, 75 pounds. So okay. he's wow, pretty. That's pretty, a good size. Yeah. Yeah. He goes through the cattails like just a freight train. Uh, anything like that. He just bowls his way through. And I was listening last week. You talk about uh, dogs circling around and coming, knowing which direction the wind's blowing. And, and I was mm -hmm. in the truck driving, listening, and I'm going, I'm talking to you. Uh, I don't know if you knew that last week, but I was talking to you uh, because yeah, I'm listening to you talk about the dogs do that. And that's what he does. If you go out to a little group of grass in the middle of a, you know, stubble field or something, he will circle around downwind. And on his own, he just figures that out. It's, it's crazy to watch him do that. How old is he? Five. When did he start doing that? He was doing it last year. So was he doing it before and I not noticed? I don't know. But I did notice it at the beginning of the last season when we were out at Colby. I, was, I noticed that he was doing it. And then so I kind of paid attention to him now and watching how he works stuff. And it's really cool to see. And, you know, they just figured out on the, I didn't teach him that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that stuff, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that we talk about their dogs, my dog, they laugh at me, they laugh with me, they cry with, with me, you know, all that fun stuff. But, you know, they, they want to have a dog that has it all together. That puts it all together. And they, when they don't have that, they're, they're searching for answers. They want to know how to get there. And most of the time, if you teach obedience um, and teach them the commands and they respect that, the rest of it is just time in the field and time spent making the mistakes, bumping birds. They need to learn and work through that stuff. And all of a sudden, that, that light comes on in their own mind on how to approach something. I think, I think that's how that, that comes about. Brett, do you have any disagreements with that or any advice other than no. that bird, and, bird and, numbers and gruber he's you know it makes him sound like he's a fantastic dog which he is a fantastic dog and you know he's laying on the couch next to me at night you know and but he will not retrieve um doesn't care for it he will find <laughs> birds he he will hold point if if i saw him the, uh this fall uh with a with a group and i was up on top of a hill and he was down below and they didn't know he was up there and I was hundreds yards away from him. And I bet he was on point five minutes. He awesome. He's, he's just there. He's not, but when a bird goes down, he will go find it. He will find you dead birds and he'll find them and point them out to you and say, there it is. You know, he will go stand by him and look at it. Uh, the only ones he'll bring back is if you hit like a pheasant and it's not dead, he'll go get it when it's live. He won't let it get away. But once it's dead and it's not moving, he really doesn't want to pick it up. 
Oh, good man, Gruber. How, uh, as a fellow mixed breed owner, how did you come across a German wire hair and a German short hair? Uh, a friend of mine actually had um, a male and a female that he intentionally bred um, because they were both great bird dogs. And he called mm -hmm. me up and he said, hey, I'm trying to get rid of these before they were born. He says, I'm going to get rid of these and I'm only calling people that I know will hunt them. So he said, do you want one? And it was a perfect timing because my short hair that I'd had was about 11, 12 years old. So I figured it was a good time to get another one. Huh. And you would do it again, I, I imagine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's great. How, how does he compare to other uh, dogs that you've owned in your life? Well, I've only had two bird dogs. I had a mixed lab when I was a teenager. And then I had a German short hair um, that she was purebred and she lived to be about 12 and she was, she was good at finding birds, but she was nowhere near the dog that Gruber is. Hmm. So I've she heard wouldn't, some people, oh, sorry, go ahead. She, she wouldn't, she wouldn't always hold point. She'd start, the older she got, the more she creeped. She always creeped some, but she just got worse about it. And she was not a great retriever either. Um, but she would find dogs, but she was kind of a, she was kind of crazy. She was really high strung. She would like chew on her, um, legs cause she got so nervous about maybe whatever, just laying around the house or whatever. She might chew on <laughs> herself. Um, she was just really high strung and she was a varmint killer. She would just kill anything and everything from snakes, turtles, armadillos, possums, um, yeah, cats. <laughs> Yeah. We were hunting one time and she was back in some, like a plum thicket and she wouldn't come out and she's barking. So I'm shocking her with the collar and she wasn't coming out. And I hear this, you know, commotion. I can't see what's going on. And she just kept going, barking and barking and, and, you know, growling going. And it's just some commotion. I knew it was something back in there. She finally came out with an armadillo in her mouth. <laughs> dead? Was it dead? It was not quite all the way dead yet. It was pretty well dead. <laughs> Um, but she brought it out. Now this is a dog that didn't want to retrieve either, right? She would not retrieve a pheasant or a quail to me, but she brought the stupid armadillo back to me and was trying to give it to me. And my buddy is dying laughing while this is going on. And I'm yelling at her to put it down to drop it. So you don't want to reach down there, you know? Yeah. It's not dead yet. <laughs> well, I guess Brett, better that than a skunk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She <laughs> yeah. never brought me back a skunk, but she did get sprayed. Especially before, so. one that's especially one that's not fully dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want yeah. that. Well, um, I mentioned, you know, that you you do a great job of mixing business with pleasure. Let's talk a little bit business. Um, one of them is that I know you're very active in getting new hunters out into the field, helping mentor others. What's your role in doing that? Well, you know, I, all of us could do a lot better job probably doing the individual task of that. Uh, but we have been, uh, sponsors with, uh, pass it on outdoor mentors here in town. And, uh, I am currently on the board for that uh, organization and, uh, Mike Christensen has done a great job over the last how many years on working with different, uh, different ways to get kids involved, um, from, you know, kids that don't have any opportunity to go to kids that are just getting started. And that organization continues to grow. And now um, they've added a Iowa, uh, somebody in Iowa, as well as the people in Kansas. So, yeah. Um, and just, oh gosh, I don't remember how long ago it was, maybe a few months, or maybe it was even last summer. I had on, I uh, forget her name now, from Pass It On. And no, she, Brittany. Brittany, yes. Brittany went yeah. in depth with us as to how that organization works. Um, do you feel like you're seeing, you know, just taking that organization, pass it on. Uh, there's there's several hunting mentorship organizations throughout the country. Do you like that model? Do you think it's working well? I think so. But, you know, a lot of them won't know for another 10 years or so how many of those kids get exposed, stick with it. You know, that's part of it is, is yeah. getting them to, for that lifelong love of getting out and hunting. 
And uh, so sometimes you won't know for a while, but there's sure a lot of kids participating in it currently. And that's yeah. good. It's well, exciting it, to see because I mean, it's twofold for us, right? Um, you know, we talk about my love of upland hunting. And so it, it's, I love to, to see other uh, kids get involved and learn how to hunt and, and to be out in the outdoors instead of sitting inside. And then mm-hmm. the other part is it's good for our business is um, continues to grow as more people get out and maybe uh, shoot wild um, animals, mainly venison or elk. And then uh, obviously they need products from us then to uh, make snack sticks or summer sausage or jerky or whatever. Sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm good friends with the uh, the team up here in Minnesota that work at Rapala, and it's you know a giant monster lure maker around the world um, for fishing lures, and you know they're always looking at helping kids, helping kids. And one thing, one of the, one of the guys, the marketing director, says he goes, "That's that's the future right there. If we're not investing in them, you know." I won't have a job later on, but um, more importantly, our fisheries won't look the same way that they do today. And so all of it matters. And you guys are taking the same exact approach, which I completely respect too. And um, I, I think we all are doing what we can, uh, you know, at different levels. Sometimes it's one-on-one mentorship that uh, makes a huge difference. And in, in even taking some adults that I know have a lot of kids that are now taking their kids out and so it doesn't matter who you take out there it does make a difference you did mention though how it affects your business and um you know walton's being just this monster in the um the food processing world the wild game processing world when you started this business or i should say when your dad started this business did he have any connection to hunting at all no, no, he was, uh, uh, if you're familiar with grinders and stuff, he, he basically started our company selling grinder plates and knives and That's he would it? sell them to, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Selling them, repping a company that were made actually in, in Chicago at a company called yeah. Speco and he was repping Speco selling to anything from small processors all the way up to what we call the big boys, you know, the big uh, corporations that he would sell grinder plates and knives to. And that was mostly geared towards just the butcher, the butchering world, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. That was gotcha. it. When and, did you and, guys decide to evolve into being so much larger and all these other products and then really catering to hunters? Well, we, he asked me to come in with him and we bought out a little company and that was in Wichita that had seasonings and, um, you know, equipment and grinders and stuff and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so I came in with him in 1996 and, and we thought this was a great idea. So we mortgaged our houses and everything and started, took over this little business with like six employees. And we just noticed over the last, uh, over the first several years there in the fall, lots of people came in our front door that wanted, you know, stuff for deer hunting and, they just wanted small quantities. And so we started trying to figure out how we could do that and, and grow that along with what we were doing with commercial meat processors. And so I eventually started making this little catalog, um, which I'm the most non-creative person. And I would sit at home at night and on this software, build this little catalog. And then we started shipping that out by request and shipping that around the country. And that was kind of the beginning of it. Sending out about, I think, 5,000 catalogs in the first and in, in the beginning, and then it just growing. And then, and then my wife took over that. My wife was, she was at home and, the, and we have four kids and our fourth kid started kindergarten. And she said, do we have something down there for me to do? And I said, yes, we do. Here's a catalog. Why don't you take this and make a catalog? And she did. And she made it awesome that a, a lot of what you see today in our catalogs I mean, she started it from scratch and built it up. And then eventually about four or five years ago, decided she didn't want to work every day anymore. So we hired people to do it. But uh, the catalogs that we send out today were basically created in the beginning by my wife and, and Sandy. And, and she did a fabulous job in the retail catalog and the commercial catalog. 
and getting those where they were large enough that they looked like they had a lot of product and they were attractive and, and people bought stuff from them. Wow. I love that. I had no idea that I, when you start asking people questions about their story, you, you find out uh, some really cool stuff. So a lot of your credit, you know, to the way that things expanded goes to um, your wife tackling a catalog. That's that's really cool. Uh, do you guys still do the catalog today or is that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yes, we do. We do. Okay. We do a gotcha. couple of commercial catalogs a year and, and one retail catalog home processor. Gotcha. If you're an avid outdoor enthusiast like me, then odds are good you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow like a dream. They are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Besides a bird dog, a shotgun, and a good pair of boots, the Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I've been talking about the Onyx Hunt app since we started producing this show, and that's simply because I use it on every single hunt. I'm serious. Every single hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that I can legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx Hunt app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land, federal lands, walk-in access properties, etc. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together the patterns that day. The app also has new features this year that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. If you hunt grouse in the north woods, there's a timber cut layer to help you find ideal habitat. If you're planning to hunt North Dakota this year, then there's a very important layer that has been added to the app that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the tools Onyx Maps give us. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. If you're like me and you love to hunt, there's a good chance you have a four-legged hunting partner that goes everywhere with you in the field. My dog gives me the best chance at finding birds, which is why I always want to make sure that I'm doing my best to give her food that helps her run at peak performance. I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance blends of dog food, which give me the confidence to know that she has all the nutrition that she needs to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good for life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. Take it from me and my dog Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help you and your dog excel in the field. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Well, I, I tell Austin, your son, and, and John, your kind of other son, um, <laughs> that... Uh, like, I feel like, you know, Walton's is like the Amazon of the meat processing world because I don't know how many SKUs you have. Do you know? Uh, in stock, we have uh, over 5,000 sitting here. And then we have probably 15,000 that are active that are, you know, drop shipped or special order type stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty much anything you could possibly need or want in in the meat processing game, I would say. Uh, is there anything you're looking to expand into next? <laughs> well, we're always looking, you know, we're always adding to the warehouse. I've said before that my goal, you know, 10 years ago, I thought, well, we'll add more seasonings and then we'll drop off ones that don't do as well, right? Well, we keep adding, we keep adding, we keep adding. And uh, well, don't ever seem to drop any blend off, you know, like some kind of special summer, uh, you know, summer sauce, your bratwurst. We just add to it and it sells. So it's pretty hard argument to try to, you know, weed some out when they're selling. 
Is there anything that surprises you that sells like crazy and you just think, why? Yes. But I'm not going to tell you, but <laughs> oh, come, on. come on, you got to get it. You know, it's like people say, oh, do you love all of your spices? And my question, my answer is always no, I don't. No. I know they're all good quality, but yeah. I don't like them all. Nobody likes everything. You know, some people like Chipotle. Some people like, you know, pumpkin brat. And you just, you never know. And, and clearly you don't like pumpkin brat. You know, I can eat it, but one would be enough. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I will say that, so uh, I have done my own processing of all my wild game my whole life. I grew up on a farm in western Minnesota. We we butchered our own pigs on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to do that with my parents, grandparents, you know, when we did that. And then also when, we started, when I started hunting, um, I had already help my dad butcher his deer, process the deer, make our own sausage and everything. And um, so we have a meat grinder that has been working since I started helping. And that's as far as I can remember. That's, you know, I was probably, I don't know how old, let's just say I was five years old watching my dad do it. So over 30 years, he's been using that grinder. And this year we did 350 pounds of venison brats and breakfast sausage. And, um, I brought a a new Walton's grinder in and it was like, he didn't know what to think. You know, I mean, this other one, we had to work through Mm -hmm. all the struggles with it, you know, and we made it work every year and was like, well, we got another year out of the grinder. And so this year I brought in the, the new Walton's one and it just ripped through the meat. And he's like, Hey, you know what? That's about the coolest thing I have seen in a long time. <laughs> so uh, you've got you've got a big fan in some of your new products that you're coming out with too, because I know you, you guys know, sell other other brands, a lot of other brands, but you also have your own brands of some of that some of the the, uh, the products now too, which is really cool. Well, a lot of people don't realize that you know they they say, "Well, I've got this grinder I've had for fifty years as my great grandpa's or whatever," and I'm like, "It's not grinding very good." Oh, yes, it does. I'm like, "No, I'm telling you, they wear out. <laughs> you wear yeah. a grinder out if you're if you're yeah. doing commercial processing, you're going to wear that grinder out. And if you got it from somebody who used to use it as a commercial grinder, then it's wore out. It wears out from the inside. Um, it, you know, the meat going through there will, will wear that out and it's just not going to do as good a job. And then if you don't have a sharp plate and knife, it's just not going to do as good a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are two very important topics. Actually, a sharp knife, a dull knife is the worst tool you can possibly use. Uh, those accidents, if your knife is dull, oh gosh, I tell my kids, I'm starting to teach them now how to fillet fish and, uh, they always want to cut up and help. Uh, and then the grinder that we were using um, has a big had a big belt on the outside of it. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here, Brett, but yeah, yeah. it had yeah, it had the two the wheels pulley system, and then the belt mm-hmm. would go around. And if you got yourself caught in that, I mean, I don't know if you're losing parts of your hand, but you might. Um, and then the grinder, the if you put, you know, I had to be very careful when I told them to drop in the meat because you don't want to put your finger too close; it'll go right through that grinder too. And now. Obviously, everything is is safely uh, out of harm's way. You're not going to be able to get your hands down in there. I mean, it's just it's just nice to upgrade. I guess is what I'm saying over all these years. But uh, I'm big into the into the meat processing world as well. Uh, the the most we ever made one batch of venison brats was 750 pounds. Wow! So I'm I'm kind of proud of that. Yep. That's pretty serious. Yeah, we don't mess around. That's we don't awesome. mess around, Brett. Um, well, well, I was going to, let's see, how do I want to bring this back? Oh, he, when when we were emailing back and forth, you mentioned hunt Thursdays. Can't We can't record on Thursday because that's hunt day. Uh, how long have you made hunt Thursday a thing? And for you, how do you find your work uh, balance, family balance, that, you know, it's important, I guess. So I, I, I respect your, um, your, your family life, Brett, and also your work life. And then, you know, keeping a hunting life in there too. How do you, how'd you come up with it? 
Well, that's something we just started doing this year. Um, last year we were last couple of years, we were just like, Hey, let's try to do this. Um, and it's one of the things that, you know, happens in life. If you say, I'm going to go do that sometime, sometimes winds up being a long time away. So you have to just, I found in my life anyway, I have to put it on my calendar, just put it on there. If I have to cancel, I have to cancel it. But so we start off, um, this, this hunting season, just saying, Hey, we're not going to book anything on our calendars. My wife and I on Thursdays, we're going to go hunt if, if possible. And so we've hit most of them just by doing that. Um, last week, I, I guess I'm embarrassed to say last week we did not go, um, because we got up, uh, about six o'clock in the morning. And, uh, first thing I did was look at the weather cause I knew it was supposed to be like, and it was where we were going. It was snowing and it was 30 mile an hour wind and the wind chill was 20 below. And I went, no, I don't think so. We're not going out today. Well, because you've already blocked out enough days throughout the season, you probably felt like, you know, I've had a good year. I don't need to push myself beyond the limits. Um, You know, looking back on the fact that you've blocked off that time, and I know it's different for everybody in their, their family life, work life, and not maybe not being able to do it. But if you can do it, if you can block that off, and, and make that happen. I think, do you feel like it, you're more well-rounded? You're better at work? You're better at home? Well, I, yeah, that's true. And, you know, life changes, you know, different, different seasons as you go through life. Uh, I wasn't doing that, you know, 25 years ago um, with four small kids and a business we were trying to get going. Um, didn't take that time off. And uh, I think my, my oldest son was probably 15 he was, he was probably 14, 15. And he said, dad, we should go hunt. And I, and I kind of kicked myself cause I hadn't been hunting. I, you know, was busy with the business going and the kids at home, um, was busy. And so I said, no, we're going to start hunting some. So that's when I kind of started hunting. I probably hadn't hunted hardly at all for five to 10 years probably. And, you know, now that I'm at the age where I don't have to be here any every day anymore so I can get out. But for 25 years, that wasn't the case here. I was here most all the time because I had to be. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk hunting with me more than anything um, and, and to share your story. You've grown a very successful business. Uh, you've, you're living life to the best that you possibly can. Um, starting a business for we've been blessed tremendously. We have a, we have a lot of long-term employees, even though we've grown a lot and had a lot of people. And then, you know, with our two sons, our two middle kids are partners with us in the business. Now they, they own shares in the, uh, the business. Um, and Sandy and I now are, are kind of working towards not, uh, but we've been blessed, uh, by, um, the time uh, that we've been here growing the company and been able to raise kids in the business and have a bunch of awesome customers, many of which, especially the commercial processors that we've call friends all over the country. Um, yeah. And not everybody gets to do that in their, in their business. So we, we really thank God that he gave us that opportunity to be, to do that. I was going to, uh, yeah, I mean, well said, I was going to say, or ask you, is there any advice you would give? Because I know there's people listening that are entrepreneurs or that have their own small business or they're growing or just working hard wherever they're at. What have you learned being a successful businessman like you are that you could give advice to somebody that's looking to grow or take it to the next level? Is there anything that jumps out to you that you'd say, this is important? Wow. Um, I, I've run through my head lots of questions you'd ask me uh, today, <laughs> Travis, and that wasn't one of them. Um, <laughs> so I would, I would say I love and I love working with other business uh, owners and stuff, and and being in and I'm in an organization with some other um, business owners, and I learn a lot from them. Um, and I think you've kind of hit parts of it just talking about the family and the faith um, end of it is you have to keep that in perspective. If you, if you find that you, and I've worked a lot of hours, but I, but, but I'm not one who was down at the office until, you know, midnight working 
um, you have to keep that balance and you still have to be, if you have kids at home, you've still got to be involved in them with school. And, you know, if they play sports or other activities, uh, that you have, that you have to be involved in that and you want to be, because otherwise you're going to get someday where you look back and go, wow, I missed all that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so there, I mean, and how, and how you, how you are in your business. And I think that goes back to, for me, it goes back to the faith issue is how we treat people and how, um, you know, I think there's clear direction for us. And if we look to God's word on how we're supposed to treat people from an employer spec perspective and from, a uh, from, uh, somebody that sells to customers that, and how we treat them. And, and hopefully we remember that and continue to do a good job in, um, doing that the right way. And sometimes it's painful to do it the right way because you realize you made a mistake and somebody's got to pay for, um, and that should be the company that made the mistake. Well said, well said last, last topic here, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, are you, where, where are you guys at or where are you seeing the, the meat processing industry, at right now with covid and supply chain are you guys back to where you were beforehand are you caught up i know it was just gangbusters there when you know everything got backed up two years ago when this first hit yeah when when covid hit there in you know march of april of uh is that 20 um yep. people walked in a grocery store and they didn't see meat on the shelves and you know, especially the big pork producers were shut down or slowed down and, um, people went out to small processors and that's our niche. Um, um, about 70% of what we do goes to small to mid-sized processors are all over the country. And the other 30% is what we call home processors like you. And, uh, it, we went from, uh, in April, we went just overnight went nuts and we almost were running a hundred percent increases over the month before, I mean, before the, of the year before's month. So like in April that year, we almost doubled the April before's and we kept thinking that was going to come down and it didn't come down that much. It came down a little bit, but it didn't come down that much. And then in the process in the last two years, there's been a lot of small um, plants that have been built and there's still more coming. Um, so, um, as I say, I've done this over 25 years and I've never seen this many new small meat processing plants being built. Um, and what I mean by small, you know, where there's going to be less than 20 employees there. Um, you hear the government talk about some bigger ones of hundreds of employees. Well, that's not to me a small plant, small plants, like a small town meat locker. And though that's our customer. And then on top of that, so many more people got out and hunted, I guess, because our our home processing business did the same thing. So with the company, we've had, I think, oh, I looked last night, um, getting ready for something else. And I think 21, we've had 21 years of consistent growth. So we've had 21 years in a row where our business has increased. Not always the same, but the what happened in the last two years almost doubled us. And it's staying here now. It's the new normal. There's that many more people going to small processes. Uh oh, can you still hear me? Um, yep, I so, gotcha. Um, it's it's amazing how uh, uh, how many people have decided they want to know where their food comes from, so they find it from a local source, or they go out and hunt it and harvest a game that game themselves. And either way, they do. We're here to provide you know, supplies for them and seasonings and equipment. Wonderful. And, you know, you talk about some of that, that with the equipment stuff, a lot of that stuff we've in the last several years have sourced ourselves where we used to go through somebody. For instance, you said something about, you know, we have other brands. Some of those other brands we don't offer anymore because we just start having our own brand made because then we can control that supply chain. And that's been a real struggle the last two years. Um, it, Kind of, we're getting used to it. I don't know what's better. We're getting used to it. So we just order farther ahead. So the, you're, you're able to get everything that you need. There's no products that you're waiting on anymore. Oh no, there's still some, it, it, it depends on the vendor. Um, but there's still some that we're waiting on longer than we would like to. 
Um, and I guess there's a lot and we're waiting a little longer than we'd like to, but we've just learned that, you know, it used to be, say it was a three week lead time and now it's a three month lead time. So we just add that lead time into our, you know, calculations. Uh, we have software that runs all those calculations to figure out when it needs to be ordered. Yeah. Cause you guys, you store everything. So if I go on your website and order, let's say a bag of seasoning, it's mm-hmm. waiting on your shelf. You grab it. It goes in the if, mail that day. If you put it, if you put that order in online, more than likely within thirty minutes after you hit enter, it's in a box. If it's during wow. the day, if it's during the day, because yep. as long as you order by five o'clock today, we'll, it'll ship out today, and then everything, uh, you know, after that time, then is going to be tomorrow. Uh, but it, during the day, we're pulling orders as, usually as fast as they come in, so that we're caught up at five o'clock. Wow. Well, keep it up. You guys are are doing great work down there. Um, I can speak to it on my end. I and now my dad can too, and mm-hmm. he's happy with it too. So, um, I I thank you for all that. Uh, well, just with your partnership, I know that uh, Walton's has been a, a partner of the flush television show for a few years now and uh, some of our other TV shows. And uh, we appreciate that. It allows us to be able to tell stories that hopefully inspire people to get out and hunt. And maybe they learn a thing or two that make them a better hunter when they're out there as well. And uh, we can't do it without great partners and you're one of them. So thanks Brett. Well, you're welcome. And, and for the people that listen to the flesh, um, I'm sure they enjoy it because it's, it's very well done. Um, but just to let them know on the backside, the reason it's well done is because you guys, the, everybody that I know there are, are quality, quality people and they, um, just do the right things. Um, when it shows when on the TV show or the podcast, um, it, it just shows who you guys are and, and we are just really thrilled to be part of that. Well, thank you. Blessings to you and to your wife and the rest of your family. Uh, but really I hope you have a very successful hunt Thursday coming up here. Um, and uh, rest of your season down there in Kansas as well. Kansas quail is still open and there's birds on the ground. You heard it right here that, Brad is telling you that the numbers of quail are up right now, which is exciting. I would do almost anything to be able to come down there and, and take my dog for another rip. Um, but I have a newborn coming into this world here soon, which uh, is keeping me close to home right now for the rest of this hunting season. So I get to talk to people like you, Brett, and live vicariously through you. And I hope that our listeners enjoy it. We're going to do it again here in a couple days with another guest. And then a couple days after that, I'm going to do it again. And then we're going to just keep telling more stories, Brett. We're just going to keep it rolling. Did I lose them? I must have lost them. All right. He he had enough of me, and that's okay. Um, just a reminder for you, if you're still with me, that our new episodes of the Flush Podcast, or not the Flush Podcast, the Flush Television Show are streaming now. Head to YouTube and search The Flush TV. You're going to find our YouTube channel. Subscribe to it so you don't miss any episodes. And you can watch them in their entirety. One new episode a week now until the entire season gets uploaded. Um, Once again, thanks to Brett, who I I believe I lost there. But um, for sharing time with us, uh, he's a good man. And it's, it's fun to hear his story. Um, and I'm excited to have several more guests on here that have some pretty cool stories to share as well in the coming weeks. Hope you'll join me. I'm Travis Frank reminding you to introduce someone new to the field.